Amen. All right. Well, hey, how many guys, I know it's kind of the, the field of what we're dealing with now, but uh, how many guys like politics? I mean, you wake up, you get out of bed, and you go, yeah, politics, another day, it's coming, more, more, right? No, as we've seen many times before, I think it's pretty obvious, we've heard this, but I've got to say it again, because I think we all know that politics comes from two words, poly meaning many, and ticks blood-sucking creatures, right? And we've, we've dealt with that many a times, and, and in fact, I even hear the problem with practical jokes is sometimes they get elected, and, and I, I even heard that, <laughs> did you know, apparently in Mexico, air conditioners are called politicians because they make a lot of noise, but they don't work very well, and, and that's what I hear, but I also hear that sometimes believe it or not did you know politicians they don't smell very well like this guy listen to this one day there's a it was election time and this politician decided to go out to the local indian reservation and try to get the native american vote and when he got there the indians they were all assembled in their great council hall and they, to hear the guy's speech and so the politician uh, politician began his speech and he's working up to this big finale bobby and and the crowd's getting more and more excited and, and the politician continues his and i promise better education opportunities for the native americans well, this, the crowd goes crazy. They're shouting, hoya, hoya, hoya. And so the politician, he's encouraged by their enthusiasm, and he keeps on going. He says, and I promise more government housing for the downtrodden on the reservation. And the crowd goes, hoya, hoya. Now they're stomping their feet. Woo! And so the politician continues. He says, and I promise more social reforms and job opportunities for the Native Americans. Well, at this, the crowd goes nuts. They're in this frenzied pitch. Like, hoya, 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 hoya. So after the speech, the politician, he's feeling pretty good, you know, about the image he established with the uh, American Indians. So he decides to deepen his relationship by asking them to, for a tour of the reservation. And so the Indians agreed. And the first thing the politician saw was a tremendous herd of cattle. They're everywhere. And, and since he was raised on a ranch, uh, he knew a little bit about cattle. And so the politician asked the chief if he'd get a little a closer look at the cattle. And the chief said, sure, just be careful not to step in the hoya. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes politicians and politics doesn't smell very well. Okay? And uh, we can smell them a mile away. <laughs> okay, now you're getting it. Give it up for the guy on the second row. That's right. That's right. Uh, but anyway, but I think in all seriousness, I think sometimes uh, the reason why we don't have a particular nose for politicians or politics is because many of them are being used right now to destroy our country our very way of life, and now they're destroying our religious freedom. Like this politician, let's take a look. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. You know, I've said before uh, that one of the great strengths of the United States is, uh, although as I mentioned, uh, you know, we have a very large Christian population, we do not consider ourselves a Christian nation. And as long as we've got to fight to protect a woman's right to make her own choices about her own health, I want you to know that you've also got a president who's going to be right there with you, fighting every step of the way. Thank you, Planned Parenthood. God bless you. He used to think that for gay and lesbian couples, civil unions would suffice. But now President Obama has concluded that's not enough. In an ABC News interview, he became the first president ever to support gay marriage. For me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that uh, I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. And even if we did have only Christians in our midst, if we expelled every non-Christian from the United States of America, whose Christianity would we teach in the schools? Would it be James Dobson's or Al Sharpton's? Which passages of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay, and that eating uh, shellfish is an abomination? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application. We... Preach it. I was doing the smell thing. I don't know if you could hear that, but that's the appropriate response. Uh, let me get this straight, folks. These are the days that we're living in. We now have a politician in offense. 
that says we are no longer a Christian nation. He doesn't just say it here, he says it abroad. He actually asks if he caught that for God to bless Planned Parenthood, who is responsible for killing over 57 million children in the United States of America just since 1973. He now says that homosexuality is a civil rights issue instead of a sin issue. And then he has the audacity to say if we followed the Bible, i.e. the teachings of Jesus Christ, it would be detrimental to our country. What was the word? Thank you very much. I not only find this, folks, blasphemous. I find it very offensive as a Christian. And what I find it also is ironic that if you understand our Christian heritage, our godly heritage, you'd realize that that is not the norm. That's the abnormality. If you look at our nation's history, our presidents did not act like this. They didn't speak like this. They didn't mock the scriptures like this. In fact, they preached them in times like this, and people got saved. Here's just one of them. Let's take a look. You see the statue to the left of the door over there, that white marble statue? That is President James A. Garfield. President Garfield uh, was one of the young major generals in the Civil War. Uh, he was a war hero. He became Speaker of the House. He became the 20th President of the United States. And by the way, uh, that man founded Howard University. Uh, General O.O. Howard took it over after he founded it. Just a really cool guy. But what we never hear about that President of the United States is that he was a minister during the Second Great Awakening. Uh, this is actually one of his letters, signed James A. Garfield, 1858. In this letter, President Garfield recounts that he had just finished preaching a revival service where that he preached the gospel 19 times in the revival. He says as a result of his preaching, he said that 34 folks came to Christ and he baptized 31 of them. Now that doesn't seem like a typical presidential activity today. That's what we used to do with presidents in the past. Again, you'd walk through, you'd see that statue, you'd think, oh, there's a president. You'd never think there's a minister. We've so compartmentalized Christianity in such a small box that we don't realize our military leaders, our, our ministers, our educators, our, our, our presidents used to be ministers. That's why I say about one-fourth of these statues are ministers of the gospel. Won't see that on the History Channel. And that's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Now let's counter. You mean to tell me that our presidents used to be ministers... They preached the word of God in times of need to spur revival to our great and mighty nation. And here's the point, folks. I'm convinced of this. If revival is going to come our way again, we need to do the same thing now. We need presidents just like that. Not the first one. We need leaders like that. We need people like that. We need you and I in the church to do the same thing. We need to get busy preaching the holy word of God, a message of repentance and love if there's any hope for our nation. Not blaspheme it. Not mock it like our current president. And don't consider it a hate crime to preach it. We have got to get a spiritual backbone again like our nation used to have spiritually if things are going to turn around. And that's what I want to do the next couple of weeks. I feel led of the Lord uh, in light of the Supreme Court's decision, a Christian response to the Supreme Court's decision. And what I want to do is hopefully encourage us and lead us scripturally. How do we respond if there's any hope for our nation? And I'll tell you this, folks, flat out, Christian, because we've been duped for 20 years. The hope for our nation is not another political savior. If we take all this energy at this time, and if we do the same mistake we've been doing for the last two decades, and think it's going to be some political guy who's going to turn this nation around, we are doomed. We have to get back to what our country was founded upon, and that is a spiritual savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And we'll address that there, okay? And you're thinking, biblically, you're saying, well, how's that going to happen, Pastor Billy? We've got... The seven-year tribulation coming. We know that. Well, you're right. The seven-year tribulation is coming. Judgment is coming. We are in crisis mode. This is crunch time. But biblically, we know again with the example of Nineveh, who was an extremely wicked society, and who was getting ready to be judged by God. But a faithful prophet who readily went and dealt with the culture... We've been doing Jonah for 20 years, church. We've been asking some political savior to go do it for us. But if, and we wonder why we're in this whale of circumstances. Are we awake now? Have we been barfed up on the beach ready for action yet? Are we? Or are we going to sit there and do nothing? Scripturally, if God can bring revival to Nineveh, now obviously it didn't last very long, we know that, because then they went into judgment. But there was a period of time, believe it or not, these people actually responded. And so I think, biblically, we're, this is what we are headed for as a nation. We are either headed for revival, then judgment, or we are headed flat out for judgment. 
And how you and I as Christians respond right now to the Supreme Court's ruling of what's going on is going to dictate the example. Okay, and if it's going to be the former, not the latter, then we have to get back to what made our country so great. Why was America so great? How did we prosper so long spiritually? What is the secret? How did this happen? Where did the spiritual backbone come from? I mean, the founding fathers of our nation, they sacrificed it all. Why? To escape tyranny and oppression. And that's what's happening today. It's being repeated. If you know the history of the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and then again, our own country, what did these guys run from? You read the textbooks today, we're being lied to. They say, oh, the pilgrims came over here for economic uh, advantages. What? Read the Mayflower Compact. It's about God. They came to share the gospel, but they were coming to escape religious persecution. They were being told what they could and could not believe in the Bible. We're there again. And we need to get that same backbone of these guys who put it all on the line. They gave up their land. They gave up their livelihood. They gave up their comfort. They gave up everything to establish the foundation for our freedoms that are being threatened right now, being violated right now, okay? And, and you gotta think, well, what, what was the secret? How could these guys do this? Because you gotta put it in historical context. Because these guys, a ragtag bunch of guys, they put everything on the line. They looked death square in the face and said, literally, no more, we've had it, that's it, no more tyranny. We demand our freedoms now, we rebel against. How could they do that? How could they take on, literally, the strongest nation on the planet at that time and whoop their pants off? Because that's what happened. They had a phrase during the revolution. And that phrase was this. We have no king but King Jesus. Don't tread on me. And it's not the 70s with the thong and the big foot. Right? It's not what it meant. We have no king but King Jesus. You're not going to tell us what to do. And we'll put it all in the line. We've got our foundation on Jesus Christ and he doesn't lose that's what we got to get back to Christian that's how we need to respond first of all but don't take my word for it this is what God says okay our founding fathers folks left us I believe a trail of breadcrumbs if you will that if we did lose our way as a nation there is a way to get it back I'll say it again if we did lose our way as a nation there is a way to get it back we just got to get back if you will to that secret and by the way the reason why I call it a secret is because we're being lied to we are being brainwashed into our heritage and even to our numbers, okay? Well, let's take a look at that scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is our opening text. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to see, as you can see there, verses 10 through 15. Paul's going to be talking about a foundation. Be careful how you build uh, a foundation on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, and here's what Paul says. He says, by the grace God has given to me, I laid a what? A foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it but each one should be what careful how he builds why because no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is who Jesus Christ now if any man builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones wood hay or straw uh, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work and if what he has built survives he will receive his reward if he's burned up if it's burned up he will suffer loss he himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the what through the fire or through the flames, okay? And believe it or not, folks, this charge from Paul in the scripture, okay, to not waste your life on temporary things, be careful how you build, what foundation you laid, is what our country was founded upon. The founding fathers, folks, knew that if our country was going to stand the test of time, it needed to be built specifically on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and yet that's exactly what they did, and yet we've been lied to. And here's what happened uh, a few decades ago. This phrase started coming around, and we've fallen for it. It's called separation of church and state. Turn to somebody and say, that's a lie. And we're going to see that historically. Our Christian heritage, folks, has been written, rewritten, ripped off, and we're being told that our founding fathers did not want Jesus Christ mentioned in our government, our schools, our society, or anything of that nature, and that's not true. And the premise that they got us to swallow was this phrase, separation of church and state, which now has basically become to mean keep Christianity out at all costs. Notice you can put the occult in there. You can put immorality in there. You can put Eastern mysticism there. But oh no, not Christianity. Don't put Christianity in there. It's a lie. Okay, the next time I challenge you, 
Christian, the next time somebody comes up to you and say, oh, no, separation of church and state, separation of church and state, I-, I want you to challenge them in love. And I want you to ask them, where does that phrase, separation of church and state, appear in the Bill of Rights? Show me. Because it's not there. Show me where that phrase, separation of church and state, appears in our Constitution. It's not there. It's not there. That phrase came from a letter from Thomas Jefferson in 1802 to the Danbury Baptists of Connecticut who wrote to him at the time and they were concerned that another Christian denomination, mind you, who was popular at that time, the Congregationalists, they wrote to Jefferson because they were concerned that they're getting so popular that the government might be tempted to say, hey, the United States of America is going to all be Christian Congregationalists. They were concerned that the United States was going to say that they had to follow a certain, mind you, Christian denomination. Notice the whole context there is Christian Christianity, Christian denominations. Not anything everything. Not immorality. Not Buddhism. Not Islam. Christian and Christianity. And when our founding fathers talked about religion, they were talking about the religion of Christianity. Not Buddhism, not Islam, everything under the sun. And so Jefferson simply in that letter referred them to the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights, which says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. In other words, you can't say, okay, we're all Baptists now. Mind you, Christian context. Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion, listen, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's what's being attacked right now. And it violates the First Amendment that was set up for us. Jefferson had full confidence in the original intent intent of the first amendment that would ensure that listen historically no christian denomination would be chosen as the official christian denomination of the united states that's it that's what he meant by separation of church and state it had nothing to do with keep christianity out we have been lied to and and for proof of that folks all you got to do is take a look at our founding fathers and what they believed in and preached in and they expected to be maintained in our country And you'll see that they wanted the foundation to be stuck and stayed on Jesus Christ. In fact, they even warned, if you budge from this foundation, you're doomed as a nation. Let's take a look at just a little bit of that proof today. All right, John Adams. Anybody know him? Yeah, hello, President. Here's what he said. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of what? Christianity. Without religion, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite company. I mean what? Hell, what do you think is happening today, folks? The Christian religion, he said, is above all religions that ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times, the religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. Sounds like he wanted to keep it there. Uh, John Quincy Adams uh, said this, My hopes of a future life are all founded on the what? Gospel of Christ. In the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is linked Indissolubly with the birthday of the Savior, the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of what? Christianity. Patrick Henry said, being a what politician? Having a lot of cash? Being a Christian is a character which I prize far above all this world has or can boast. Righteousness, not unrighteousness, righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. The great pillars of all government and of social life are virtue, morality, and religion, meaning Christianity. This is the armor, my friend, and this alone renders us what? Invincible if you stick to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Listen to this and what was just done in our court system. This is John Jay, the original Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. What did they rule? The original guy. Mercy and grace and favor did come by who? Not Buddha. Not an atheist. Not Muhammad or Confucius. Jesus Christ. This is our Supreme Court, folks. Okay, by conveying the Bible to people, we certainly do them the most interesting act of what? Kindness, right? The most effectual means of securing the continuance of our civil and religious liberties is always to remember with reverence and gratitude the source from which they flow. Where does it come from? The Bible. It's the best of all books for it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue. This is from the Supreme Court. Continue, therefore, to read it and regulate your life by its precepts. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation. What did our president say? 
We're being lied to. It is the interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for the rulers. This is the Supreme Court. Okay, Benjamin Rush, the father of public schools under the Constitution. Oh, got to keep it out of schools. That's what they meant by separation church and state. Watch this. We've been lied to. The gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation in life. Happy are they and able to obey them in all situations. This is the guy. The great enemy of the salvation of man, Satan, in my opinion, never invented a more offense, uh, effective means of limiting Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was improper to read the Bible at schools. Did you catch what he just said? Not only you better put the Bible in there, you need to have the Bible in the schools, but if anybody ever came to you and said, one day, get it out of there, he said, that's from Satan. We've been lied to. We've been lied to, Christian, to get us to sit there in the pew, shut your mouth, and don't engage in the culture. It's to create apathy. Because we still are the majority. We'll get to that in a second. Christianity is the only true, he said, and perfect religion, and in proportion as mankind adopt its principles and obey its precepts, they will be wise and happy. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. How many of you guys like algebra? All, none of you. Read the Bible. <laughs> All right, all right, there's two back there, giving up for two. Thank you for participating in today's show. <laughs> more than algebra. I'm sorry, guys. More than algebra, more than science, more than being politically correct. The number one textbook should be the Bible. I'm not making this up. We're being lied to, folks. Uh, Noah Webster, you know, the dictionary guy, right? right? Schoolmaster to America, right? He said, quote, the religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. Says it right there. The moral principles and precepts found in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. I am persuaded that no civil government of a Republican form can exist and be durable in which the precepts of what? Christianity have not a controlling influence. Why do you think they're ripping it out? Why do you think they've been doing it for three decades, four decades now, taking out of schools, taking out of the government, taking out of the courtroom, taking out of the minds of the people? Because they know that's what will destroy us. And these guys said, you better not let it happen, right? George Washington, a lot of people say he wasn't even a Christian. I'll give you that. But listen to what this very possibly non-Christian, I don't know, there's a big debate, but listen to what he said. You do well to wish to learn the arts and ways of life and above all, the religion of who? Jesus Christ. These will make you a greater and happier people than you are. While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, uh, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of a what? Christian. Not too bad for a non-Christian. Right? Continue on. Daniel Webster said the Christian religion and its general principles must ever be regarded among us as the foundation of civil society. Whatever makes men good Christians makes them what? Good citizens. That's what keeps it in line. We'll get to that in a little bit. And one more here. There's tons more, but this is the Congress U.S. Judicial Hearing Committee. We've looked at presidents. We've looked at statesmen. We looked at schools. Now we're taking a look at the, we looked at the Supreme Court. Now we're looking at Congress. Here's what Congress said. Had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that's what's going on right now, that revolution would have been strangled uh, in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was, listen, that was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. And yet our politician president, says, oh, no. Oh, there might be Christians there. But we're not a Christian nation. You're either really bad at history or you're a liar. Because there's no way around it. I don't know about you folks, but this, again, that's the tip of the iceberg. I, I'm kind of thinking that we're being brainwashed with the media. I think they want us to think that we're in the minority. I, I think they, they want us to, you know, think that you can't win. There's no way out of this. Our founding fathers clearly believed that Jesus Christ is the foundation that what makes for a great nation, okay? And I really think I know why they've lied to us, okay? Because they don't want us to understand this truth. Because listen, this isn't exposed the lies that they're telling us. 
But when you get back to this, it also tells us the way out of the mess we're in. Because folks, once again, just like our founding fathers escaped from, we are under oppression. Once again, we are under the hands of tyranny, and they left us in evidence what you need to do if you're going to get your nation back again. And the first thing we need to do, Christian, is stop goofing off, stop getting apathetic, and stop checking off the line. I don't know about you, but you know, I wasn't in the military. My parents tried to get me in there, believe you me, <laughs> to fix me up. But I was disqualified because of asthma. But the scripture says as Christians, we're called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. And I do know this about the military. It doesn't go well when your fellow soldiers are there putting their lives on the line and you sit there and chicken out and go AWOL. And Christians, we have to stop going AWOL spiritually. We are not of this world, but we are in this world. And as long as we're in this world, we need to stop running from the battle and we need to preach Christ and him crucified. We have got to get that spiritual backbone back that our founding fathers had who were willing to risk it all in times of trouble, in times of crisis like we're in. Like this guy, I love this quote. He says, life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness will not be in danger because someone said a 30-second prayer before a football game. What's the big deal? It's not like somebody's up there reading the entire book of Acts. They're just talking to God and whom they believe and asking him to grant safety to the players on the field and the fans going home from the game. But what about the atheists? What about them? Nobody's asking them to be baptized. We're not passing the collection plate. Just humor us for 30 seconds, will you? If that's asking too much, put in a pair of earplugs. Go to the bathroom. Go to the concession stand. Call your lawyer. Unfortunately, one or two will make that call. One or two will tell tens of millions of Americans what they can and cannot do. But it's a Christian prayer, some will argue. Well, yeah, this is the United States of America, a country founded on Christian principles. According to every phone book, Christian churches outnumber all others 200 to 1. So what do you expect? Somebody chanting Hare Krishna? If I went to a football game in Jerusalem, I'd expect to hear a Jewish prayer. If I went to a soccer game in Baghdad, I'd expect to hear a Muslim prayer. If I went to a ping pong match in China, I'd expect to hear a Buddha prayer. But this is the United States of America, so why in the world are you shocked at a Christian prayer? Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents taught us to pray. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Now a handful of people and their lawyers are telling us to stop praying and stop saying the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, well, God help us. And if that last sentence offends you, sue me. The silent majority has been silent too long, and it's high time that we tell the one or two who scream loud enough that the vast majority doesn't care what they want, that the majority rules. It's time we tell them you don't have to pray. You don't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to attend our services that honor him. That is your right, and we will honor that. But by goodness, you will no longer take our rights away because we are fighting back, and we will win. Why? Because we're Christians. And that's what our nation was founded upon. We serve Jesus Christ. He never loses. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he's Lord of all. This is what our founding fathers believed in. This is what made our country so great. And if we're going to prosper and prosper again, we've got to get back to that same spiritual backbone. We have to start speaking up because we are still. This is the other thing that I don't want you to think. They want you to think with this decision that we are so outnumbered, give it up, that's a lie. Here's the facts. A recent report from the Center of Disease Control, CDC, showed less than 3%, not 3%, less than 3% of Americans identify themselves as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Less than 3%. Number two, according to the Family Research Council, 31 states in the United States voted against this same-sex marriage. They voted to uphold marriage and the family. Only three states out of the whole United States voted in the voting process contrary, which means when you put the statistics of the voting people together, not being overruled by a judge, one guy, but the will of the people, if you do the math right now, it's a ratio of 12 to 1. 12 to 1 citizens of the United States of America said no. One court, one judge says, too bad. That's not how our government is supposed to function. 
But what I wanted to tell you is be encouraged. Chin up, Christian. Don't listen to the media. We are still in the majority 12 to 1. And if the 12 to 1 stops going AWOL and gets serious to the solution, which is not a political savior, it's Jesus Christ. And we start preaching the gospel, things can turn around. I think this is going to be our last opportunity. And if we don't respond correctly right now to what just happened and stop going AWOL and ignore we're still now in the majority 12 to 1, we're doomed. We are headed straight for judgment. We have to work together. We've got to get serious this time and stop goofing off. The second way we know that I, our country was founded on Jesus Christ, not just because of the founding fathers, but believe it or not, folks, let's go for the gusto. How about the schools? This is another thing we're being lied to. Our, the curriculum. This is absolutely wild. In fact, it was just what the scripture says to do. What's the purpose of studying? Why, why go to school? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto who? God, that's why you're studying. It's about him. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Not only did our founding fathers know that you need to lay the foundation very carefully, make sure it's Jesus Christ, and they did. But they also took this passage to heart, and they knew that if our country was going to continue to success, you had to get Jesus Christ also in your schools. They knew that the Bill of Rights and the Constitution were just an outward shell that could only provide general direction for government. But it could not listen, it could not tame the internal heart of man. You get it? How many times have we got to get burned by that one? Let's get another politician in there to pass another law. Laws don't change a man's heart. Jesus Christ can. And if you teach Jesus Christ in the schools from wee high, they got a much better opportunity of accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And having him at heart, so you don't need those 10,000 laws. You don't need 10,000 more. If you get Jesus, they knew, listen, Bill of Rights, great. Constitution, awesome. But if the heart of the people got wicked, that can't stop the wickedness. Only Jesus Christ can. They believed that the taming of the heart was up to the word of God. They knew that if America got inwardly rotten, then the Bill of Rights and Constitution could never stop it, and you are headed back to tyranny again. And so, believe it or not, they put a plan into action for all citizens of the United States of America to study the Bible, to keep our hearts in check, to keep us on the straight and narrow, to be approved unto God. And once again, we're being lied to, so let's take a look at just some of that proof, folks. Uh, the first colleges formed in America, 123 out of 126, were formed on Christian principles. How do you get around that? Up until 1900, it was very rare to find a university president who was not an ordained clergyman, okay, in our country. The New England Primer, listen, America's first textbook was used for 210 years. This is how kids went to school, and they were taught the alphabet like this. A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. Z, Zacchaeus, he did climb the tree, our Lord to see. That's how they learned the alphabet. Oh, some person church of state. We're being lied to. It was in the very alphabet. In fact, listen to this. How would you guys like to have this on your final? <laughs> the 107 questions at the end of America's textbook for 200 years, the New England Primer, had questions like this. This isn't all of them. This is just a sample. What offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? How does Christ execute the office of a priest? What is required in the fifth commandment? Kids. Honor your mom and dad. What are the benefits in which this life do accompany the flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? I know Christians that probably can't even answer that. This was how kids were taught in our nation. And oh, but separation, keep Jesus. No, we're being lied to. George Washington made it crystal clear that American schools would teach Indian youth, quote, the religion of Jesus Christ. And who assisted in doing so? Congress, even more than that, in 1782, Congress had 10,000 Bibles printed for use specifically in where? Schools, right? But it's supposed to be out? I don't think so. Thomas Jefferson, again, people would say, hey, the guy probably wasn't a Christian. I'll, I'll give you that. But look historically what he made a decision upon. He wrote the first plan of education for the city of Washington, D.C., and he adopted two textbooks, the Bible and Watts Hymnal. You know what Watts Hymnal is? It's good old-fashioned hymns, and it's all chucked full of Bible. So you got the Bible and a Bible songbook and hired clergymen to be the teachers. What? 
Okay, 1854 edition of Webster's Dictionary have biblical definitions, Bible verses, and Webster's own testimony of personally receiving Christ. What? That's not in the dictionary anymore. I wonder why. America's first school was Harvard, founded in 1636 by Reverend John Harvard, whose official motto was, why did I start this school? For Christ in the church. And then he says this, here, student, listen to this. Here's why you're here. Harvard had several requirements which students had to observe, one of which was, let every scholar be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That's what Harvard was instituted for. And we're told, oh no, founding fathers never meant to have Christianity, the Bible, and Jesus. And don't you know they said separation of... You're either ignorant of history or you're a liar. And I've had it with your lies. With all due respect. Folks, our founding fathers not only believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, many of them. I'm not saying all of them were because I don't think you can say that. But I think the bulk was Jesus Christ is the foundation of our country and they believed it was the teachings alone of Jesus Christ is what we needed for the education of our country because that's what is the only antidote to keep man's wickedness in check. And yet we are told today that the whole purpose of an education has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Even with my own children. Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? That's not the question I ask. What has God called you? What did he save you for? Then we'll talk about education, but what's that calling? Because the purpose of an education is not about getting a good job. The purpose of an education is to be approved unto God, to get better equipped to serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what our founding fathers believed. And we have strayed because we've been lied to. And until we get back to that kind of fortitude, folks, our school system is going to get even worse. Daryl Scott, do you guys remember him? Daryl Scott is the father of Rachel Scott. She was one of the students that was shot and killed in Columbine. You know, our great educational system that's been hijacked because it didn't used to be this way. And here's a portion of what he shared at a congressional hearing. And you tell me if he doesn't have the answer to our schools figured out. He said this, the death of my wonderful daughter, Rachel Joy Scott, and the deaths of that heroic teacher and the 11 other children who died must not be in vain. Their blood cries out for answers. In the days that followed the Columbine tragedy, I was amazed at how quickly fingers began to be pointed at groups such as the NRA. He says, I'm not a member of the NRA. I'm not a hunter. I don't even own a gun. I'm not here to represent the NRA because I don't believe they're responsible for my daughter's death. I see here today and declare that Columbine is not just a tragedy. It was a spiritual event that should be forcing us to look at the real blame lies. And much of that blame lies right here in this room, Congress. What has happened to us as a nation? We refuse to honor God. In so doing, we've honored and opened the doors to hatred and violence. No amount of gun laws can stop somebody who spends months planning this type of massacre. The real villain lies within our own hearts. He said, so I wrote a poem just four nights ago expressing my feelings best. And here's what he said to Congress. Your laws ignore our deepest needs. Your words are empty air. You stripped away our godly heritage and you've outlawed simple prayer. Now gunshots fill our classrooms and precious children die. You see cancers for everywhere and you ask the question, why? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because you regulate restrictive laws through legislative creed and yet you fail to understand, Congress, it is God is who we need. We have to get back to that kind of fortitude. We need to speak the truth. We need to speak up. We need to do it in love. We need to do it biblically. But this is not a time to shrink back and fear. We have to get back to the premise. We've got to put the word of God into people's minds, certainly young kids' minds. And need I say this again? I don't mean this to hurt, but how else do you put this? As a pastor, I believe it is imperative. As a church leader, you lead by example. We don't just homeschool our kids because that's what you expect a pastor to do. Because I cannot and I refuse to send my kids to a school that they will be shown from early on pornography and things I can't even say from the pulpit. We have to get our kids out. 
even if it costs you monetary, then why did you have kids? Why did you do it? And is God dried up on the throne? As if he won't provide? Who comes first? The mighty dollar? Or your child's heart who's being brainwashed into this immorality? This is the fortitude. It's not just watching some guy stand up in Congress and we sit there and go, yay, good for you. The 12 to 1, this time, if we're going to have revival, then judgment, and not just judgment, we better change something today. And if we don't, we're doomed. We have to make these kind of Yes, life-changing decisions, the sacrificial decisions. What did the founding fathers do? They risked it all. They sold their land, their houses. They gave it all up. They even under the threat of being hanged, shot, murdered because freedom was more important. No king but King Jesus. That's what we got to get back, church. The third and final way that we know that our country was founded, and this is the secret. If we get back to the secret, we're going to have revival. And that's this one. The churches did. The churches used to preach Jesus Christ. And God told us in his word what you need to do, church, not the world, the church, if you want to be a part of a genuine revival. How many times do we quote this verse? 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 14, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his palace. If you read the context, this is a great time. This is a heyday. This is an awesome time in Israel's history. Woo-wee, this is the best time ever. The wisest ruler that ever lived, had riches of glory, nations looked up to them they were a prime example of god but listen to this the lord appeared to him and says listen i've heard your prayer and i've chosen this place uh, for my uh, as a temple of sacrifices i've got god's blessing but he says this but i warn you if you start experiencing my judgment because you start going south uh, america when i shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If the world... See, that's where we get it wrong. Revival's for the people of God, the church. If my people, God's people, who are called by my name, will what? Start praying. What's the one we always skip over? Humble. I think what just happened humbled us. What's it going to take? If you will humble myself, yes, then pray... But keep on praying, right? But yet when we pray, it's just like some momentary prayer. It's just like, okay, pray for, pray for the... And it's always pray for those people. God, bring revival to those people. No, revival's for us. And keep on praying. But not only that, then you go back and you do what you just did. And hopefully God's spirit will do something as you watch and applaud and put up a scorecard. What's it say? No, now uh, you need to seek his face. This isn't some one-time deal because you're in crisis mode. Keep it up. Get back on track in your walk with Jesus Christ. And then what? Stop being a hypocrite. You're going to sit there and poke at the wickedness in the world. And you're doing it too? You ain't going to experience revival. You now get rid of your wickedness. Here's the good news. You do that? It's been here all this time. Then God says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and I will heal your land. God gave us, folks, even if it got down, and I think this is where we're at. Because the government has gone wicked. Right? Schools have gone wicked. The church is the last vestige of hope. The church is the last vestige of hope. Even back in Solomon's day, the wisest man that ever lived, God revealed the good news to him that even if you got out of line as a nation, be it Israel, dare I say, even America, if you would just humble yourselves first, yes, certainly pray, seek God, turn from your wicked ways, what's he going to do? He's going to heal your land. I.e., he could just like, believe it or not, amazingly so, just like Nineveh. This is, I believe, the final gap. This is it. This is our last straw. This is what I believe was set up for us as a country. Step number one. How do you maintain a godly country? The people were to be Christians, including their rulers. Can I state the obvious? 
We got snookered with Bush Jr. Let me ask some questions about faith, which is a tough subject to talk about. Do we all worship the same God, Christian and Muslim? I think we do. Does We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Do Christians and non-Christians, do Muslims go to heaven in your mind? Yes, they do. We have different routes of getting there. I have to say this. Did you see the video clip of the interview I showed? I got a problem with this. And he was asked on camera, and if you're supposed to be a born-again Christian, how in the world did this come out of your mouth? Do Muslims and Christians and non-Christians all go to heaven? I believe we do. We have different routes of getting there, but I believe we do. How do you like that? I didn't even work on it during the week. Excuse me? I there's only one way to heaven. In fact, if you really believe what you just said, how could you say what you said if you're a born-again Christian and only trust in the only way Jesus Christ? We've been lied to. Christianity's been stripped. All you got to do is say you're a Christian, and we say, okay, I guess they are. Democrats, Republicans, folks, they have been snookering us for years. And they've taken our energy, and rightly so, we get riled up. And rightly so, we want revival. And rightly so, we want our country to change around. But we've been duped into taking all that energy and saying, here comes, if we just get a Christian Messiah. That's not what God says. God says, if my people, my people, if you humble yourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from your own wickedness, I'm going to heal your lamb. Number one, we were to be a people who were Christians, including our rulers. Number two, the education of our country was to be Christians. Number three, the churches were to preach the word of God. This is not what's going on today, is it? The churches were to preach the word of God with a message of revival and repentance to turn away from sin so we could avoid disaster. The church was the last stop gap to keeping our country in line from going over the precipice. In fact, if you don't believe me, Alexis de Tocqueville, he came here to America literally during one of our heydays as an early country to find out what is making this country so awesome. How, how could these people take on the bridge and whoop their pants off? And whoa! He literally did. He had to find out what's going on. Listen to what he surmised. He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. It's not the economy. He said, I looked for it in her fertile fields and her boundless prairies, and it was not there. I looked for it in the rich mines and her vast commerce, and it was not there. Listen, he said, it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret and genius of her power. He said, America is great because America is good. But he warned, if America ceases to be good, America will cease to become great. Churches. And what do we have today in the church? Fulfillment of prophecy. Tickle your ears. Kenetho, which means only pleasant things. Muthos, myths, turning away from doctrine. Stories made up. 95% of the church today doesn't preach repentance, doesn't preach sin, doesn't preach revival. It's pleasant things and stories made up. And if we don't turn around, we're toast as a nation. We're headed straight for judgment. This is the final insurance policy. The church played the pivotal part. What do we have today? Do we have pulpits aflame with righteousness? No. Here's what one guy said. We've got wimpy pastors behind wimpy pulpits that produce a spineless Christianity. We've got parents who can't stand up to their own kids, pastors who can't stand up to their own congregations, religious leaders who can't stand up to politicians, and churches that refuse to stand up to an unconstitutional government. And until we get back to that kind of fortitude, i.e., dare I say this, until we grow a spine, spiritually, we're doomed. I don't know what else it's going to take for God to wake us up. And I'll say this. If we take this energy, I'll say it again. Because election time's coming up. I'm not saying don't get involved. But could you do me a favor? Could you do our country a favor? If you're going to spend 40 hours a week out there campaigning for some guy you are convinced to think that's going to turn America around, which ain't going to happen, 
could you give at least twice that much to Jesus Christ and share in the gospel? Because the solution to our country is a spiritual savior, not a political one. Have you ever tried to enter into a debate with somebody who believes in what was just passed? Does the heart change right on the spot typically? If that person received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, guess what happens automatically? So what do we need to do? You want to make a difference? You want to turn the wickedness around? You preach Jesus Christ who alone forgives all wickedness and makes us into a new creation and we get a new country again. For a time. Revival, then judgment. And hopefully that's what we're going to do instead of just judgment. We got to get back, folks. We've got to put Jesus Christ back in our own hearts, back into our pulpits, back into our education, back into our government. I'll say it again. Don't leave your mealy mouth. 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Don't waste what I believe is a final opportunity to experience revival. That's the first step in a Christian response to the Supreme Court decision. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. 
such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.